You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of You Play A What. It's not every day that you get someone like my guest on your show. He is one of the most honest and hardest worker that I have known and it is no surprise that he has many things to show for in his career so far. A graduate from the CNSMD Lyon in France, I sit down with Jasper Go as he drops a few French phrases, his motivation behind practicing, and the dark side of auditions and competitions that is hardly being talked about. Now, please enjoy. You play a what with Jasper. I regard my guest today as a generational talent from Singapore. And if it means anything, there are very few musicians that will put under this bracket. I've been an admirer of his work for a number of years, and I'm pleased to have him come on today's episode of You Play A What? And over the last few years, I'm glad to say that our friendship has developed, and at least on my side, I always enjoy the conversations that I have with him. With several solo prizes under his belt, he currently holds a principal position in the Sichuan Symphony Orchestra in Chengdu, China. Thank you so much for coming on to today's show, Jasper. How are you doing today? Um, actually, quite nervous because it's <laughs> my my first time uh, doing a podcast. Yeah. Yeah, nothing to be nervous about. <laughs> but okay. Thank you for inviting me on this. Yeah, no worries. Uh, really, really glad that you can come on to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you've done much more nerve-wracking stuff as compared <laughs> to this, you know, like performing to... No, to but I think public audience. speaking is always one of the worst uh, for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll slowly ease you yeah. uh, into, into it as we okay. progress through the interview. Uh, so before we get too far with what we want to talk about today, let's just get it out of the way. So this is You Play or What? So maybe you want to tell us a little bit about what you play? Um, I play the flute and yeah, and piccolo, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and you you've done so for say how many years now? Uh, I started when I was sec one, so um, I think that is about seventeen years. Nice. Yeah. So about the same kind of timing as yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, so obviously you should technically be in China now, but mm. you are not, right? Yeah. Because of this whole situation. Mm-hmm. So you've been back in Singapore since around Chinese New Year. Yeah. Uh, did you expect the borders to be closed until now, actually? It closed sometime in 23rd of March, I think. And uh, I actually booked my flight before that happened. Mm-hmm. But since they, they were, cl- were going to close their borders, I was like, 
maybe I shouldn't go back because, you know, that would mean that nobody else will be back as well. So I don't think we will be starting work. Yeah. So if, if I went back, I think I'll just be stoning, which is actually what I'm doing right now as well. <laughs> but I would rather stone in Singapore than in China, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, yeah. with your family members yeah, yeah. close by and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Good. So what have you been doing to cope with this entire situation? I mean, apart from, from just kind of stoning, surely you've been doing something to kind of kill your time. Yeah, I mean, I've been trying to practice and I think the word trying is quite important because you just have such a lack of motivation in this uh, situation, right? Mm. And I mean, trying to practice to improve, which is what I'll address later because I think many people like practice to stagnate. Yeah, and this is something I'll talk about later. But okay. Yeah, and also playing computer games like Dota, which you do uh, as well, right? <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. yeah. Recently, there's been this article uh, mm-hmm. on, on like mothership yeah, or something I saw it I yeah. Read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I played 100 hours of Dota with my friends yeah. and I have no regrets yeah mm. I mean it's rare it, because playing Dota for me is like you know an activity that we do when mm-hmm. during the summer when everyone's back yeah you know and, and for now it is kind of a little bit summerish because a lot of people <laughs> are, are back from their studies right at least for for the time being la, yeah. before they, they go back to continue their studies I've also obviously trying to prepare for this interview on my end I've also done a little mm-hmm. bit of research about what we've been up to recently so I've seen uh, that you've uploaded a few new videos on your YouTube channel which actually has been ongoing for quite a while right you mean the recent videos that I did or long uh, time ago the, the entire channel has been yeah, around yeah, yeah. for quite a while mm-hmm yeah, so uh, firstly, regarding this video that you uploaded around a month ago, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so these are quite recent performances or they are... All those like, are recordings, um, recordings I did in France, actually, yeah. Ah, okay. So it's just a matter of like not having the time to upload it. Yeah. And now that you've got more time on your hand, you decide to... Actually, it's it. more like I, I uploaded long ago, but I, um, it was unlisted. Because uh, I, I didn't think it was good enough. I see. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, recently I listened back and I think, yeah, I mean, why not just put it out there? Mm. Actually, initially when you started the channel, was there any, like, do you have any plans to kind of grow it or a- any kind of motivation for the channel? Or is it just a place for you to upload your clips? and that's Yeah, it, it was kind of more, more of like a place to upload my clips. I mean, I don't have a wide following, but mm. if people search my name and want to listen to me, they can. Yeah, fair enough. And always important. I mean, mm. this is like our name card, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to just allow other people the chance to listen to us before they hire us or whatnot. Yeah. And actually, I think you've got quite a decent number of views in your channel. Um, Some some videos, I mean, some recordings have more views than others. But I think one of the highest was like 30,000. Mm. That was like um in 2014 when I did a recital with Tommy. I see. Yeah, one of the pieces, yeah. That was the... Which one was it? Uh, It's the Laugh Flute, the pun. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the more, like, uh, catchy tunes that people can accept. I think that's why there's so many views. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah. And also, in that same recital, actually, all three... There were three videos from the same recital. Mm. And all of yeah. them have, like, quite high views, right? There was uh, the there. others I have only about 8,000 and 9,000 views, but... Uh, yeah. Okay. So there was the Cesar Frank uh, yeah, Sonata. Yeah, yeah. What, what was um, the other piece? The Pierre Hong Kong 
Saint Ken. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's pronounced Hong Kong in French. Yeah. Right. I see. Sonatine. Yeah. So actually, the the reason why I asked you was because they are all French titles, and I don't want to embarrass myself again. So we get to this story <laughs> about me embarrassing myself in front of you when speaking French, right? Yeah, a, a, a little bit later, I'm sure you'll be okay. reminded of this, uh, the, the incident. Good. So, do you think that now that there's a little bit more time on your hand, you'll want to maybe do a few more things on your channel? Or is it still going to be mostly documenting uh, your playing? You mean more things like what? Uh, whatever. Do you have any plans for, like for the channel? Um, maybe? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> Any plans to make more recordings during this time? Yes, uh, definitely. I think in the, but not in the near future. I think I have to, you know, kind of like um, get back to my old level. <laughs> yeah, and to work with some other people as well before we publish anything. Yeah. Mm, fantastic. Yeah, so a little bit more about the channel. You can find the link in the show description. So, okay, let's get into... Uh, what we want to talk about for the interview. One of the first things that I do with my guests is we talk about the first time we meet. Mm. And what is your recollection of that? Um, I believe we first met in Orchestra Collective's uh, rehearsals back in 2012. Mm -hmm. yeah, I that, might be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, and I think that that is my recollection as well. Mm. So obviously, 2012 was an important year for the group. But of course, I've heard about you before 2012 as well. I mean, 2012, I was already uh, serving my national service. Yeah, but same before, as me. Yeah, but before that, when I was studying in Alpha, I had some friends that were playing in the youth orchestra mm. uh, at SNYO. And they already spoke about this particular flute player that was playing <laughs> really, really well. Right, Ben, of course, me playing the euphonium, I was never part of it. And I've only heard you play during the rehearsals for that 2012 uh, gig and competition that we were doing with Orchestra Collective. Hmm. To this day, what really stuck in my mind was that piccolo solo you did for White Noise. Mm -hmm. We was originally supposed to be an oboe solo, but mm. we put it on piccolo. Maybe people will be saying that we are cheating or, or whatever. I don't really care. But that piccolo sound was something that I've never heard of or I've never heard before. <laughs> you know, Thank it you. was yeah, it was not that typical typical kind of like really high, shrill, loud uh piccolo playing. It's kind of really refined, almost um I would say like recorder-esque mm -hmm. kind of sound. Yeah. Yeah, which completely blew my mind then. And when I heard it, I was just <laughs> like, wow. You mean a piccolo can sound like that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean people's like stereotype of the piccolo is like like just loud and screechy. Yeah. But it's... I think a piccolo can actually be quite sweet mm. in the high range. Like this is something that most people don't realize. Yeah. Mm. And and of course that takes a lot of control for yeah. you to to produce a sound like that, right? Mm. I mean, the, the easy way out is to just kind of play it really loud and shrill. Yeah. Almost like a, a, a PE teacher's whistle or something like that. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's just not the most pleasant and people will tend to like plug their ears and, and whatnot mm, when, they, yeah. Yeah, when they play the piccolo or they sit near the piccolo. Mm. And then even during that time, I think as much as we met each other, we never really interacted. Mm-hmm. I think it's partly my fault because I'm more introverted. <laughs> yeah. I think it's okay. Um, but it was a strange time as well because obviously with national service, it also means that there's not a lot of time for me to hang around. Mm. And I went back home pretty much after the rehearsals anyway. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I think we only started really speaking to each other probably 2015. Yeah, it was like during my studies, right? Yes. Your studies as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, yeah. So I think it was one of the summer Mm. and we were probably, were we at a rehearsal? Maybe we were at a rehearsal. I can't remember. And then yeah, I just what, I mean it was one of the suppers, I think, with the brasses or something. Like yeah. Anshu and then yeah, yeah. yeah. All, all our fantastic friends that we yeah. are playing Dota <laughs> with nowadays. Yeah. 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 And and I just started talking to you and then mm-hmm. I just said to you, Oh, you know, I actually always wanted to uh, visit France, blah blah blah. And then yeah, yeah can I go to Leon? Could you mm-hmm. like show me around and can I live together with you, together with my girlfriend? Mm-hmm. When uh <laughs> yeah we yeah, we had some plans to travel over the summer. Actually, yeah. now thinking back, did that conversation kind of like spoke you out a little bit? Uh, I mean, it didn't because I had like a lot of like friends coming to visit mm. in France. Yeah. So I mean, I was like, sure, why not? To a certain extent, when you're overseas, the Singaporeans will just somehow find the Singaporeans. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. For for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Like free yeah. holidays, free lodging. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so uh, of course, then after that, it was probably we we hung out, say, like June, July, and then mm-hmm. I was in France around August. Mm-hmm. And of course, you gave like fantastic recommendations on the spots to visit as well. How long were you there? I forgot, actually. <laughs> I, I was in France for about, I say, 10 days. Oh, okay. Yeah, so. But, but you were like from somewhere else in France, or you, you spent 10 days in. Leon. Yeah, so um, me, me and my my girlfriend, we flew into Paris. Yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah. what I remember. Yeah. yeah, so we flew into Paris and then we went to Annecy for a few days, which mm. was this like kind of old town that you recommended us to visit. Mm, fantastic so, town. Yeah, really, really nice. So scenic, beautiful mm. mountains. Yeah, so we were there for maybe two, three days and then we went down to Lyon to, yeah. to see you. Mm, that's right, yeah, yes. so that yeah, that was like the, the itinerary during that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and then I think things just kinda grew from there, lah, right? Once you yeah. you share a few meals together with each other, you mm. you live under the same roof, you kinda yeah, just know each other better. So back to what I was saying before, this incident happened. Because uh, obviously, like I said, I've been to two other like little cities slash towns. Mm-hmm. So me and my girlfriend had to get groceries to to cook and make food and stuff. So we went to one of the supermarkets and the, the spelling for this place is F-R-A-N-P-R-I-X. <laughs> Do you remember this? Yeah, no. I remember this now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so what happened was I confidently went to Jasper and I said to him, oh yeah, we can go to like the friend pricks and, <laughs> and buy some groceries for, for our meals. And I remembered the moment I said the word friend pricks, he just like completely lost it. He just like burst out laughing. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, why? What's, what's so funny? So turns out I just completely destroyed the French language. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so, didn't. I mean, that's just the English way to pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, a little something for our listeners. How how is how are we supposed to pronounce that word in... I haven't uh, spoken French, French in three years and you want to do this to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's going to be better than me anyway, so... <laughs> anyway, yeah. yeah. I mean, with most French words, you don't pronounce the last letter. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like some of the last letters, like X, for example. Yeah. So, uh, actually... Front, front prix is the way to pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the N, you notice I didn't pronounce the N as well. So, front yeah. prix. Uh, okay. Yeah. 
Fantastic. Friend pricks. Yeah. Friend pricks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, something for everyone. If you're in mm. France, don't embarrass yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Pronounce the, the name of the shop. I don't think they mind anyway. I don't think they care. So, uh, obviously, you spend some time in France. And mm-hmm. let, let's talk about Paris for a second. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a city that a lot of people have very split opinions about it. Mm. What is your opinion on Paris? You mean as a tourist or what? Uh, yeah. Uh, let, let's say that as a tourist or visiting. I think it's, you can visit, visit Paris um, once in your life. At least, mm-hmm. I mean, as much as you want. I mean, but um, I wouldn't recommend more than once because um, I think there's just so much like pollution and like um, people stealing things. Mm. Like in the in the train stations, I think I think my father even got his things stolen once when he came to visit me. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. like he was on a train on a train to Lyon, and then he was just putting his luggage up on the racks, you know, above. Yeah, and then. His wallet was missing right after that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I mean He left it on the table of the of the train. No, no, it was in his pocket. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and he didn't even know like his wallet was stolen at that point. He only realized much later actually. Yeah. I see. And I mean I, I mean of course there are so many like cases of theft in, in Europe, but I mean Paris is one of the cities that I wouldn't recommend because of this. I mean you can be super careful, but it's just not worth like spending your whole holiday there um, being on on careful moon right yeah high alert yeah. of the the pickpockets I mean also partly because I was studying in Lyon um, which is so much like calmer peaceful and less polluted mm, understand. so I think Lyon is quite underrated I would suggest people go there to holiday yeah mm, definitely mm-hmm. yeah and I think a, a lot of times I don't know whether is it true but I see a lot of people do more queuing than actual visiting when they're in Paris. You mean in the attractions, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I think that will completely ruin your experience when you visit Paris. I think Paris is quite nice, but mm-hmm. if you spend like half the time queuing in, to get into like Notre Dame or the Louvre, the Eiffel Tower, and all, all this like... Yeah, um, but I think you can also like buy tickets online, but I'm not sure I didn't do that before. Yeah. Did you stay in a, like a hotel or Airbnb during your time there? I stay in an Airbnb. And okay. actually, yeah, my, my host was, was quite nice. Mm-hmm. And the place that we booked, we were actually the first guest. So he just turned that spot into Airbnb. Oh. Yeah. And then okay. he gave us many sort of tips on like where to eat, where are the good places, where, where do the local uh, people go. Mm. The alternative entrance to the mm. attractions that probably will have a lesser queue and all that kind of stuff. But we, we also didn't do a lot of the very touristy things. We went to see mm-hmm. the Notre Dame, but we didn't go in. We were outside. You know, we snapped a few pictures. So you had like a kind of friendly host. I mean... Yeah, a really good host. That's quite um, unexpected for a Parisian, I think. <laughs> yeah, and I, I went there with like this kind of a, a, a preconceived notion that nobody's going to speak to us because firstly, we are not from there. And mm-hmm. also we don't speak the language. So it's like a negative plus a negative, right? But turns out actually when we arrived there, which was around say like eight o'clock, when we were we were having a little bit of difficulty trying trying to find our Airbnb. Mm. And actually we we looked like we were lost. And there 
there was this really nice gentleman that came up to us and said, oh, are you guys lost? Do you need help? What's the address? And I can point you the direction. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, and all in English. So I was mm. like, oh, actually, you know, it might not be that bad. Okay, then I think we share very different experiences. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the initial kind of contact of the city mm. really kind of makes a big difference, right? Oh, also the metro, metro stations really stink. I don't think so. Ah, uh, yeah. Like, it's just peace now everywhere. It's difficult in Europe sometimes. I mean, we are mm. we are used to a certain level of like hygiene mm. here, right? So yeah, in <clears throat> Singapore, that is that. I mean, there are just so many homeless people in in Paris, mm. especially. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they just live in the train stations. Mm. We'll go back there again uh, mm-hmm. as we speak about this uh, next thing that uh, that we're going to talk about, uh, which is your musical journey. So of course, we know about your your brief kind of couple of years in France. So tell us a little bit about how you got in touch with music and how it developed over the years. Okay. <clears throat> I think that's going to be a really long story. The longer uh, but, the better. <laughs> but I think like it is important to begin from when I was really young mm-hmm. or even before I was born. Okay. Because my parents are not musicians, but my mother would always be listening to music even before I was born, like when she was carrying me. And um, throughout my entire babyhood, like, she'll be constantly playing classical music on the radio. So mm. I guess it's a way of thinking, like, music is good for babies, you know. And I think that really got ingrained into me. Like, I would just kind of register the intervals of every note. I don't know why I did that or something, but, I mean, <laughs> as a child, I was doing that already. I see. Okay. Yeah. And she started me on piano lessons, like, when I was three or four. I don't know if I liked or hated it, but apparently I cried during one of the lessons, and she assumed that I hated it, so she stopped my lessons. Yeah. Okay. Quite unfortunate. <laughs> So, like, being a child, I never questioned why my piano lessons stopped all of a sudden. But in primary school, we were forced to learn the recorder. I don't know if you had learned to the recorder as well during your time. Yeah, definitely. Okay, yeah. Yes. So this was where I was, like, rekindled with my musical instincts. So okay. to give you some context about my primary school childhood, right, I have an older brother who is three years older than me. Mm-hmm. And back in the days, we had quite a few gaming consoles, like Sega and PlayStation 1, which we played Final Fantasy 7, 8, 9 on. I'm not sure yeah. if you've played those before. No, no. Uh, growing up, I never had any of those consoles. But <laughs> yeah, those are popular okay. games, I know. Uh, yeah, but for me, what was really good about those games was the music as well. Because um, the composer is uh, Nobio Yumatsu, in case you're curious. Mm-hmm. And although the music was in MIDI form, because it's just PlayStation 1 and technology was quite bad at that at time. You know? yeah. But you know great music when you hear it. So in my mm-hmm. later years of primary school, being given a recorder, I would always try to like play tunes from those games. Yeah, and, yeah. and all this was, was from your years? Uh, like from, yeah, you... yeah, just playing my year. Okay, nice. Uh, you, you know, like in primary school, they just teach you like C major, right? Like one octave of C major on the yes. recorder. Yes. And then they try to teach you all these little, little tunes that you cram into this uh, C major skill, right? Yeah. But I wasn't very satisfied. So um, I tried to learn all the different semitones on my own. Okay. And I managed to play like two chromatic octaves on the recorder. Two chromatic octaves yeah. on that and Yamaha Plus. Yeah, yeah, and this was in primary school. Wow, okay. <laughs> and how did, did you just, it was pure, purely experimenting? Or did uh, you I think relap like, or whatnot? For some reason, my teacher knew the fingering for F sharp. Uh, so she told she told us like, you know, do you know the fingerings for G? Ish? Yeah. Uh, G for G. like So G is like um the left hand you put on like three fingers mm-hmm. and the thumb. Yes. And then she somehow knew that F sharp was like, you leave a hole, so your right index finger is off. 
and then you pre press on the middle finger on the right hand. Right. Whereas F is like you put on the index finger, right? Yeah. So she somehow knew that, and I kind of applied it to every other note. Like, so A flat would be leaving another hole up, or B flat leaving another hole up. So I just um, tried to figure out my own intervals, uh, and I kind of learned the whole uh, semitones, yeah. Nice. On a recorder. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I would say that the, the most crucial part of my musical journey was after PSLE, because it was time to choose uh, which secondary school to go to. Mm -hmm. So my best friend in primary school chose uh, Maristella High as his first choice, and I didn't have any idea where to go, so I... I did the same thing. I put Marcella as my first choice. Yeah. But unfortunately for him, he didn't make it, but I did. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. So um, at that time, my brother was already in Sec 3. So he was in ACSI and he was in a concert band there. He was a bass clarinetist. And oh. seeing how much I loved music by the fact that I could play almost anything by ear or the recorder, mm -hmm. he told me to join band too and to learn specifically the flute since it usually plays all the melodies. Yeah. Good yeah. choice. So, Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you might be wondering why like this is such an important step in my journey, but I think I honestly think if I hadn't gone to Maricela and joined the concert band, I would simply not be where I am today. Mm. Yeah. I'll give yeah. you more details. Yeah. So sure. when it was time to select our instruments as new new recruits of the band, I totally went straight for the flute. But I was actually rejected. Okay. Uh, they assigned me to euphonium, which is what you play. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, just by see, the... Yeah, we sorry. learned something new. <laughs> yeah, already. just by the simple fact that I couldn't make a sound on the, on the... I mean, I could make a sound on the euphonium, but not okay. on the flute. Fair enough, right? Yeah, so I was like pretty devastated because I didn't get the instrument of my choice. Mm. And, you know, as a defiant child for like one or two months, I would pretend I couldn't progress on the euphonium. <laughs> 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 and then insisted insisted that I wanted to learn the flute. So they really had no choice. They just, okay, la, you know, you just go to the flute. Whatever. Yeah. I'm not going to force you to learn the phonium. Mm, yeah. Okay. So like, um, here's the thing, right? Like, although the fingerings on recorder and the flute are quite similar, <clears throat> the blowing technique is like completely different. You mm. hardly use any air on those uh, cheap plastic recorders. But for the flute, it is much more um, complex. Like for yeah. two or three months, I simply couldn't make a sound on the flute. And I was on the verge of giving up. I told my brother one day he received a flute himself from an uncle of mine. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a random present. I don't know why my uncle bought my brother a flute. But <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, so when I played on his flute, right, I realized I could actually make a sound. So it wasn't actually much later until I realized, much later until that I realized that the instrument I had was faulty. Uh, it was leaking, is it? Yeah, it was also like one of those condemned instruments that he gave me because I was like a reject from the euphoniums. I see. Okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> So I got my mother to buy me a proper flute uh, from Yamaha and she, like knowing my inclination for music, she didn't hesitate at all. I think mm. she got me the cheapest model and judging by the amount of time I spent on it, I think she kind of regretted making this purchase. <laughs> 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 and and this is in every sense you spending too much time on it. Yeah, yeah or... I spent like seriously a lot, a lot of time on the instrument. Yeah. Yeah, and, and of course, that, that means a little bit less time on the on the academic side of things. Yeah, I was doing so badly in school. <laughs> okay, yeah. right. So why I say that the concert band in Maricela helped me grow so much at that time was because there was um, the alumni band, mm -hmm. which was attached to the main band. And they would rehearse every week. And sometimes we get to sit in and listen to their rehearsals. So mm. when I was like sec two, I think, I managed to get a good enough to join in the rehearsals. 
but I was constantly being scolded by one of our alumni who wasn't even a food player himself for something like crap. Right. I mean, at that time, I, I'm sure I sounded like crap, but you didn't have to, you know, put me down so much. Yeah. Right. And at that time, I think they were preparing to go preparing to go for WMC in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go as well, but he would completely reject the idea, saying I'm not good enough and stuff like that. And at this point, I want to mention that my flute seniors in the alumni band were, were absolutely godlike. I think uh, they were the best section in the band, and most of them most of them took lessons from the SSO musicians, ah, which was okay. how they got so good. Yeah, I see. Mm. They were playing with such like rich and vibrant sound and vibrato that I've never heard before. So I wanted to be like them, and I practiced like four or five hours every day, playing playing tunes by ear or simply trying to sound like them, or trying to understand how to play with a fuller sound. Yeah. And it also helped that the conductor of the alumni band was the late Mr. Dinalek, mm. who himself was a flute player, and he was extremely encouraging towards me and would constantly praise me about it, in front of the entire band, saying that I was a rising star. Mm. Yeah, and since he was like a Chinese teacher in Mario Stella Primary at the time, which was next to our school, he would come and give me private lessons once a month, which on hindsight, I think, was a very generous gesture of his. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So like, you can see how the whole beginning of my life was so critical in helping me to improve flutistically. Mm-hmm. In sect three, brilliant. Yeah, flutistically. Yeah. I didn't say musically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In sect three, like I got appointed to become band major. And ah. that was where I learned uh, leadership skills. Mm-hmm. And in the same year, the teachers in charge, they knew how much I liked music. So they put me like to an audition offered by the Ministry of Education to select two young musicians in the whole of Singapore to go to this uh, North Dakota summer music camp in the US. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of nice. this before? No, no, never. Okay, I think Wen Rong also yeah. went for this before. Nice. But I'm not sure, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I honestly didn't think that I would make it because, I mean, you're competing not just with one instrument, but the entire secondary school band scene in Singapore. Right. So How, like, how many people were selected to go for this? Two. Out of entire country? Uh, uh, yeah, out of the entire country. Every year, they just select two. I see, okay. Yeah. So when news came that I made it along with another flute player from Victoria School, I really couldn't believe it. Like it was as if all the time I wasted on playing the flute was actually paying off. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not so wasted after all, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my mother was also like quite um like she started to recognize my efforts. Mm. So it was my first time traveling overseas and to such a faraway country like the US. It was kind of intimidating for my parents. But at that time I honestly didn't care. Yeah, because all I wanted was, was to improve and learn as much as I could on the flute. Yeah. And yeah. you're just so excited to travel, right? To go yeah, to man. the camp. <laughs> yeah. So about the camp, I mean, the camp was great. Like, it was two weeks long and I studied under two of the flute teachers there. And I had learned a great deal and was exposed to much higher levels of playing across the world. I the, see. And, th- yeah. so, and sorry to break you up there. Mm-hmm. So these teachers that uh, you were studying uh, with in mm-hmm. North Dakota... Yeah. They are from the university or from the local orchestra? Uh, I think they are just like uh, specific soloists around the country. And then they, ah. get, they gather together just to form a faculty in the US, uh, in, in, in this camp here. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So in the camp itself, I think they had this, uh, I think they had the wind band segment and the orchestra segment. So we had to audition in the camp itself to decide our placement. So I was put on, I auditioned and I was put on the first flute in wind band. And it was quite a, it was quite a great experience actually. I think we played one of those uh, pieces, uh, something about the Korean folk song, variations, is it? Variations uh, of Korean yeah. folk song. 
Yeah, yeah. Perry Eason is a Korean folk song. I mean, that was my first time playing. I think there was like five flats or something in that piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was kind of crazy, but <laughs> <laughs> because you know, all all my life I've been playing by ear, so seeing like musical notation uh, and trying to translate it into fingering is quite different. Yeah. Yeah, at that point. So I think that really helped me um, with my uh, reading skills, actually. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the camp experience was really great. Like, such cool fresh air, and you can see the stars at night. Something you don't really get mm. in Singapore. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. So in the camp, right, there was this uh, chaperone from MOE who took care of us throughout the entire trip. And then he told me to audition for the Singapore Youth Orchestra after the camp. So I did. And then I think, I, I didn't think I'll make it, but I mean, somehow I did. And I mean, then my, my career really started from there on, yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and this was when you were 15, when you auditioned for yeah, yeah. the Youth Orchestra. Yes. Okay. And you auditioned and then you got into the main orchestra immediately? Or yeah, I didn't. The- yeah, because so, if you audition, you usually have to go through the training orchestra. Mm-hmm. But I, somehow I was placed in the main orchestra um, right away. Yeah. I see. Nice. And who were your section mates then when you first joined? Um, there was Kelly. Uh-huh. Do you know her? Yes. Based yeah. in the US now, right? Yeah, yeah. Kelly, uh, Mark Sia. I think he studied in NAFA before, but not sure if it's voice or flute. Ah, yeah, and, okay. Um, I mean, who else was there? Like, I mean, those were the seniors I had in SMIO. And then my... Batchmates, I think Daniel Bonaventure. Ah, okay. Yeah, Jet Huang, Tae Yun Song. Um, yeah. And then Tony came later, I think. Yeah. Right. Okay. Shao Ming also came later. So this was like, this summed up my entire secondary school, I mean, and before experience, yeah. Yeah. So obviously for you, post-secondary school, mm. because at this point, you've already, I say, done quite a few things that's related to music. You obviously left your musical studies to quite late mm-hmm. in your career development. Mm-hmm. So w- was this like intended? Okay, now let's carry on like post-secondary school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was what was your thinking and what was the plan back then anyway? Yeah, I mean, this is a very good question because I, I was so devoted to music, <clears throat> right? And I... I mean, I kind of wanted to do music in my life. I, I, I knew that this was going to be a, the direction I was going and devoted mm-hmm. to. But as you said, I didn't study in NAFA. I mean, that was the only choice I had at that time, I think. Yeah, I think YC had this like young artist uh, program also, but I didn't okay. go for it. Yeah. Mm. I think it was like, I mean, my mom, you know, she's like the typical traditional mom who would say, you know, you should study something that would kind of like earn you money. I mean, like, don't study music because musicians are poor. And she's totally, she's totally, totally right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this has been a recurring theme amongst the last couple of uh, interviews as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's always that kind of hesitation with uh, regards to, like, the parents saying that uh, you maybe shouldn't go on this, like, musical path or musical career at such a young age and you should do something that is a little bit more conventional and that yeah. would sort of guarantee you a decent living. What What do you think? Uh, like, do you think you should you should have done something else? Like if you had a uh, chance to turn back time? I wouldn't change anything. I think because that was what I wanted to do back then. So I, I'm one of the lucky ones that after, or you can call it lucky or unlucky, I don't know. Uh, after 
O-levels, I immediately went to study music in NAFA. Mm. So uh, for me, I think there's no regret there because it was my first choice. I think if I were to do something else and not do NAFA, then that I would have like a little bit of regret over there mm. when, when, when I think of it. So for now, no. Um, for now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, yeah, it, it is, uh, you, you kind of have to take ownership of your own choices anyway, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, that's what I think. But so you were playing like at a very high level in secondary school as well that pushed you? I wouldn't say I was playing at a very high level, but I would, there, there was definitely an interest there. Mm. So it's kind of interest driven. Okay. So it's like me thinking, what am I going to do next? I mm. can't really think of any courses in polys that would interest me. Mm. So I'm like, yeah, maybe I'm going to do this. That's exactly what I felt. Like, I, did, I didn't know what to study in poly. Mm. So you know how, like, after you get your results, then you choose your schools to go to, right? Yeah. You fill in this form. Like, mm-hmm. six choices, right? First yeah. choice, whatever. What's well, nothing? Yes. A, lot of, a lot of choices. Yeah, I, I basically, I, I just did NAFA because I knew okay, the okay. academic requirements. So you left everything else blank? Uh, yeah, so I just applied for NAFA. <laughs> okay. You know, they give you this like magazine with all the schools inside, right? Uh, yes. And then you, you just flip through it and you look through, the, look through the magazine to kind of like learn more about the school. Yeah. <clears throat> so I just closed my eyes and I flipped through the magazine and stopped at a random page and pointed at whatever. And then, so my first choice, I pointed at Thomasic Polytechnic. Okay. And then the course was like law and management. So I, I so I just wrote that in. Uh, I mean, it's like, yeah, okay, first choice, law and management. And then that was it, right? And then you. And then second and choice was like, course. yeah, second choice. No, so I just did it for all the six six uh, slots. Uh. And <laughs> second choice was like RG or something. I was like, okay, RG. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I did this like for all six slots, and then I mean, obviously, I got the thermostatic body because my requirements were met. Mm. Yeah, and I don't really regret it, even though I I didn't I don't like law at all. Yeah. I mean, throughout my entire like life. I think it's quite important to make friends with non-musicians, like people not in your industry. Mm, for sure. Because, yeah, it broadens your perspective, per- perspectives. And like, even though I was on the Dean's list in TP for being in, a, in the top 10% of my cohort, like my love for music remained. And I mean, I was fortunate to be able to keep my practice game strong. But And during this whole time, I was in SMYO as well. Mm-hmm. So that really uh, continued to give me like the energy that I needed to uh, fuel my musical desires. Did you find that it was difficult for you to stay motivated and true to the the course, the course meaning like what you wanted to do, which is music in the future? I, I think it, I felt more difficult uh, staying in the course of law and management. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, I already hated it. I didn't like it at all. But you still did pretty well, I must say. Yeah, I, I did well because everyone else was slacking. I mean, <laughs> I was I was still practicing four or five hours, hours a day. And I mean, I, I can't believe I was in the top 10% of my cohort. Right. Okay. <laughs> it was just like ridiculous. So basically, it's too easy for you, the course. I mean, no, it's not easy, but <laughs> everyone else was doing worse okay. than me. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> but during my second year in poly, um, there was a partnership program with the SMYO and Lanxus this uh, chemical engineering company. And I think they were sponsoring people to go for like exchange programs with um, 
like world renowned soloists. So there was this program with uh, flutes, like we, we could go to Italy to study with uh, Andrea Griminelli. Okay. And that really, I mean, I got selected and to go for that course and I think that really helped to keep my passion going as well. Yeah. Right. So this was during your poly days? La. Yeah, it was during my second year in poly. I see. Okay. So uh, during my three years in poly, I also had like my own chances to organize my own concerts, which is the one, the recordings that you were watching, mm-hmm. um, the recitals with Tommy and I also did some others, but I didn't put them up. So I had about three or four recitals before I went to army. And like I was pretty nervous about not getting into SF band when I enlisted. Because if I didn't get into SF band, then that would have meant that I couldn't practice properly for two years, right? Yeah, I, I have no idea how you managed. Ah, yeah. <laughs> for me, I essentially took that two years out. I mean, I tried my best to, to <clears throat> practice, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's challenging for sure. And you know that you are not playing at the level that you should be. Yeah. Yeah. But I but I just thought to myself that because this is probably going to be the two years that I can take off the instrument. And mm-hmm. then after this, as I progress with my career, it's gonna be kind of nonstop all the way. But that's the ideal thinking, right? I mean, what if it doesn't happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So uh, fortunately it did. Yeah. So if it didn't happen, I don't know what 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 I would be doing. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I was very lucky to get into SF band, uh, mm. honestly, because that was really where I practiced nonstop. Like I would just literally just book in and practice under book out. Yeah, and this SF band segment mm-hmm. of uh of your life, this when when you entered SF band, you were like completely sure that the next step forward is full time music studies already. Yeah, because I really hated uh, law and management, mm. and. I mean, I, it was clear to me that I love music so much, right? Yeah. Because I was practicing so much and it, it was not because I practiced so much that I love music, but it was it was like, you know, you love something so you do it. Mm. It's not because you want to, it's not because you love something that you practice on purpose. Yeah. I don't know if I'm making sense. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Definitely. But you do it out of love. Yeah. yeah. And also like, mm. I was I was like obsessed with the French school of flute playing. So that really gave me a lot of like fuel to stay motivated. Yeah, like during my two years in army, I was already learning French, uh, in in some French schools. Mm, the the language lah, right? Yeah, because I knew how to start to start in France after after army. Yeah, yeah, and I think that is also is such an important step. I mean, for me, mm-hmm. uh, there's no need because I went to study in the UK, which basically I just have to speak English. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, if you are gonna plan to study in say somewhere like France, somewhere like Germany, where English is not really the first language. I think it's super important that you get the language site sorted before you go there. Do you think that it really helped you that you could converse in France, uh, in French? Sorry. It. I mean, it was helpful. I, I studied it for two years. I got into. I got to delve A two. So it. I mean, it's like A one, A two, B one, B two, and I think you need A two at least to study bachelor's in France. I'm not sure about Germany. I think Germany is B one. Okay. Yeah and. I think I got to A2 before I already, but when I went to France, it honestly wasn't even like useful at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, I still couldn't understand anything right. for six months. Okay. I mean, after passing the audition, but I'll get to that later. Mm. After six months, I mean, everything changed. Like, suddenly you kind of understand everything. Yeah. You... There's just this like switch that happens for no reason. Mm. And then you, you start to process things that 
yeah, it's kind of get climatized to the whole language because you're hearing yeah. it all the time, right? I think also because the textbooks in, in French school were those proper French, uh, how to write proper French sentences, mm. but they don't speak that way. Ah, okay. Conversational French versus the yeah, yeah. the academic it's like French. They omit so many so many more words, you know. Ah, okay. A bit like English, but I'm not sure I'm not sure if English people do that. Yeah. But probably mm. in, in French to a much more drastic extent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now let's talk about your overseas studies experience. Right. So, like you said, you've always wanted to go to study in France. You love the French school of playing. Did it meet your expectations when you started studying there? I think before we talk about that, maybe we talk about the audition process. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, like, the audition process for admission to my school was actually quite challenging. Mm. I mean, I auditioned, I mean, I already in December 2013, right? And then the, the admissions in most conservatories in Europe were usually in August or September in the following year. Mm. So I had about more than half a year to, to prepare. Mm-hmm. And I had applied to two schools in Switzerland, actually, the French-speaking parts, so Lausanne and Geneva, okay. and then one in France, uh, Lyon, which is the one I was admitted to. Mm-hmm. And I think it really helped that I had friends who visited me like during my time in the auditions. Like in Switzerland, uh, Ignatius was there. To, to accompany me during my auditions. Mm, nice. And in France, yeah, in France, uh, there was a friend from SAF Ben. I don't think you know him, Aaron Justin, who was there uh, to, like, kind of just, like, spend time with me during my auditions. Okay. But actually, they were just, like, holidaying. Now. I see. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So, my auditions in Switzerland kind of went okay, but unfortunately, in both Lausanne and Geneva, they only had space for one candidate. Mm. Out of, like, 100. Okay. So, uh, Obviously, I wasn't the best, and I didn't get it. Right. Yeah, but I was happy that I made it to the final round. But, you know, deep down, I felt like I just wasn't good enough. Mm. You must understand I had only three chances, and two of them, like, failed. Right. So I was left with one chance. So there, there was a lot of question marks, lah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, so, it, it was more difficult than I thought, like, auditioning in Europe for schools. Okay. I didn't expect... I mean, because, you know, I've been, like, winning auditions... Uh, all my life before this, yeah. right? Like getting into this uh, North Dakota summer camp mm-hmm. and SMIO and stuff like that. Uh, I thought it was easy game. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously it's not easy. Like I was like really awakened. Okay. Kind of. Mm-hmm. So I was actually on the verge of giving up like after the Switzerland auditions. But when I went to France, I mean, I felt like it was more of like a holiday trip, you know? I, I kind of like just semi-gave up. I just wanted to like enjoy my, my time in Europe. Okay. And, yeah, and then like it was there where I realized that in Lyon there was two hundred applicants. Two hundred, okay, wow. <laughs> Which is double those of Switzerland, right? I was like, okay, yeah, I'm definitely not getting in. So I really wasn't optimistic. Like <clears throat> after playing my first round in Lyon, like we went to just um, sightsee. We went to this church up the hill. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know which church it is? Yeah, like, there's this church on the hill. Yes, I think you bought us there as well. Yeah, yeah. it's a uh, cathedral Saint John or something yes. like that. Yeah. Yeah, and then I think, I mean, it was my first time up that church, so I didn't know the fastest way up that church. I took the longest path up the church, so it was just walking the roads, okay. circling the hill. Right. And then on, on the way up, uh, we kind of bumped into a car that broke down, and the driver saw us and like he asked us if we could help him push the car up the hill. Wow. To where he lived. Okay. <laughs> I mean, 
that was kind of crazy. Like, I wouldn't have helped, I think, but, you know, my friend, he, he has a heart of gold. I see. And he didn't hesitate at all. He, he just, okay, let's, let's help him. Okay. <laughs> so we spent, the next, we spent the next half an hour, like, just pushing the bloody car. Oh, wow. Okay. And this, like, this was after my first round of auditions. Right. So that was the second round. Okay. If I made it. Uh. So after, so as if, like, walking up this hill wasn't bad enough, like, we had this extra labor to make us even more tired. And after getting up the hill, I got a text message saying, hey, you're going to second round. Okay, and how much time do you have to now get back to the school to play? So by then it was evening, and the the next round was the next next day. Ah, I see. Okay. <laughs> right. So I was like, okay, I you know just do it lah. Yeah, whatever. I was not expecting anything, so I I just played like I usually do, and then with zero expectations, I I just left the room, and then the results were out. Somehow I managed to pass mm-hmm. with two other French girls. Yeah. So I mean, at least there were three slots for this school lah. Mm. So I mean, there was the. That was kind of like the best part of the trip for me. Okay. Yeah. So this was my audition uh, process, which I think most people don't really talk about because it can get quite discouraging. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm not sure about your audition process. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about it. Yeah, I'm, uh, for me, my bachelor's process was quite straightforward because uh, I didn't have to do a live round. I sent a tape in and I got in to the RNCM in Manchester. This happened for me during my audition for master's. Mm-hmm. So it was the same thing. Uh, I did the, the audition for the school in Bern uh, mm-hmm. for a master's. And I, I got a reply back uh, saying that I passed the audition, but they can't take me in because there's no more room in the studio. Yeah. So that's the same thing. Lah. That's that's exactly what you said. Don't you, you know? just feel like it's so wasted? Like, yeah. Like I mean, wrong timing. Ex- exactly. At that point of time, the teacher that I was teaching in Switzerland was also the visiting professor at RNCM. So yeah. after my audition, uh, there were plans for him to return to RNCM to do some work with the RNCM students as well. He spoke about the audition. Uh, he told me uh, maybe I could have changed something. And what really hurts was he told me that actually off the back of my mind, I know already that you play better than two of the upcoming master's students but because they were already enrolled into the school. So, <laughs> so they're going to take their third year results uh, as their audition. So they have they are automatically given the spot because they've, yeah. they've been studying there. So, I mean, it was a little bit of comfort, but at the same time, it was just like, oh, well, that <laughs> kind of sucks with me, right? Yeah. But yeah, it's okay. I mean, at least I, I did it. And mm. yeah, you, you learn some things out of it. And I'm for, sh- for sure you also start to realize that things won't necessarily go your way all the time, right? Yeah, when, I mean, yeah. it's a good learning experience, no matter yeah. what the result is. For sure, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, moving on, like to my time in France, like mm. when I actually got the place. So, I mean, I think my time was mostly spent practicing, like in SF Ben and before. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's what music students should do anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> should do. Yeah. Should do. Yeah. Anyway, I think that there was about like 12 of us in the flute studio where okay. we studied under one main teacher, mm-hmm. one assistant teacher yeah. who would do the excerpts with us. Yeah. And and, and this yeah. main teacher and assistant teacher, this is a very kind of French system, right? There's oh, always, you didn't have this in UK? Uh, there's only, um, I mean, there are two teachers, but mm-hmm. they are, you study with either one or the other. Oh, okay. So they are not like, um, of, of course, my studio was huge as well. Uh, when mm-hmm. when I was there, 
So yeah, it was kind of like split workload. I'm sure they talk about uh, the students, but it's not like you learn from the both of them. Oh, but in my yeah. school, I think there was only one main teacher for uh, most of the wins. Mm, okay. So you couldn't, you don't, you don't really have a choice. But I think in other parts of Europe, you have a choice. Yeah. I see. But also, we didn't just have two teachers. We had four teachers actually. So one main teacher, one assistant, mm-hmm. one piccolo teacher, and one baroque flute teacher. Nice. Okay. Yeah, the baroque flute is uh, kind of optional. So I just spent one year learning it, mm. but I think it was quite eye-opening. Because, I mean, different figurings, different blowing methods, different style. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, I mean, the friends I hung out with were mostly people from my studio, as well as the international students in the school. Mm. And, and I felt like, even though I, there were no Singaporeans with me during my studies, like, I was quite, I was actually quite comfortable. Yeah. I mean, I heard from the podcast that you did with Daniel that he was, or was it Don, that one of them was uncomfortable that there were no Singaporeans. Mm. Yeah, I yeah, think it was but, done. Yeah. Mm, yeah. But for me, I didn't find that an issue. Like it was a great time for me. Mm. And I mean, even though I was forced to speak French all the time, I think it was quite nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for, for once in your your life, you are surrounded by like minded people mm. in your studies, right? So yeah. like everyone's just to, there to kind of like do it. Exactly. And as compared to like doing a course in law and management versus now you're in music school whereby everybody is striving for this kind of like musical excellence or technical proficiency on their instruments. Mm. And in short, they're able to just geek out with you when it (laughs) comes to anything related to flute or music. I think... Actually, I have something to share about this. Like like one of my classmates, I I think he's quite famous now. Uh, Kim Yubin, the flute player. Yeah. Okay, so I'm really quite close to him. Uh, we spent a lot of time together and there was another Korean flutist who came in one year later, one year after me. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes we would just eat dinner together at their place and, you know, they would just re- listen to recordings um, the whole day of like professional flute players and then analyze their vibrato. Like actually break down how fast their vibrato is. Like to to an absolute detail. Yeah, like everyone is different, right? Every Every player... Uh, vibrates differently yeah. at different speeds but they would kind of like uh, try to understand everyone's uh, speed interesting and then <laughs> and then they would just like share this with me I'm like what the hell is going on <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like why would you do that like that's so geeky right I mean yeah so do they have like a chart or something I mean they don't like, but they but they know how to imitate everyone's vibrato because mm. they have analyzed it really wow that's yeah. that's interesting I mean, I guess that's why the Korean uh, music scene is so doing so well, right? I mean, mm. this was just one of my encounters with Koreans, but I mean, it really opened my eyes. Yeah. yeah. It's almost this kind of obsession with, with yeah. the craft, right? I mean, I thought I was obsessed, but when I look at them, I'm like, okay, I'm not obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a whole other level of commitment. Yeah, yeah. How long do you think you can go if you have to like dissect all the vibratos? What do you mean how long I think I can go? Like, how long do you think you can spend doing this before you be like, I need a break? I don't even think I can start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's this like book, uh, there's a lot of books written about vibrato. I'm not sure if you have read them, but some of them say like the optimal speed of vibrato should be like something like six pulses per second or something. Oh, really? What book is this? I- I'm not sure. It's... I'm not sure where I read this, but it was from a book for sure. Uh, but I'm not sure if I was, was talking about violin or flute. Yeah. 
because six is quite fast for I mean per second six is actually actually quite fast. Yes. And I think that's quite a lot of effort. Yeah. Mm. For sure, definitely. Mm. Interesting. Maybe I'll I'll go and try tomorrow. I don't know which book it is, I I'll try to find out, yeah. And I'll take it that your experience and your time in France completely met or perhaps even exceeded your expectation. Um yeah, of course I'll I just show you all the good sides, right? But I mean mm. there's also the negative sides. I mean so throughout my whole three years in studying in France, like we were encouraged to take as much auditions and competitions as we wanted. Yeah. Because we could apply for leave anytime. I'm not sure about your system. Yeah, I mean if you have something legit to do, you can apply for time off. Even if you have like competitions every month, you can just like basically MIA for the whole year. Um this I'm not too, not so sure. Maybe not. <laughs> because I, I did have some schoolmates that were not around at all. Okay. So they were just like constantly auditioning or Yeah, they were just constantly auditioning, doing competitions. So I, I also did quite a few and one of the more memorable memorable competitions I did was in actually in Munich in Germany. Mm. Um, so what was memorable about this competition was that one of the pieces listed in the first round was an etude, but they didn't specify the opus number. So I prepared the wrong etude. Damn. Okay. And I only found out I only found out the day before uh the competition because I heard other contestants warming up and playing a, a completely different piece. I'm like, why why is everyone playing that piece? Okay. So so I so I frantically sent a message to Jasmine Choi. She was one of the jury in the panel. And then asking her which opus number it was and lo and behold, I was right. I prepared the wrong attitude. Okay. So so I quickly borrowed the scores from one of the Japanese contestants who was kind enough to lend it to me to learn. And I played it the next day. And I kind of still was sight reading. So I don't, don't even know why like I managed to pass the first round. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, this is a good experience, but I'll go to the bad ones later. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I got into the second round and that went for, went well and I progressed to the finals and I won the second prize. So this was in Munich. Mm-hmm. But there are so many other auditions that I did um, that aren't actually so good. Okay. I did this audition uh, in in Switzerland for an orchestra. I think it was orchestra, uh, the La Suisse Hormont. And um, yeah, the jury was actually quite racist. Really? Yeah, they, I mean, okay, so what? how it works is that there's a curtain so they couldn't see you. But actually on your side, there's one there's one person sitting, sitting beside you. Okay. Uh, I think he's kind of like facilitating, facilitating the the you know, who's next and what's... Yeah, the audition process. Who, pay, who pays next, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think he was actually like mess- messaging the panel like, okay, this guy is Asian. Really? Yeah, because I... Okay, this is a kind of long story, but I'm not just going to condense it. I, I heard from my teacher that they are racist. I see. Yeah, so they are known to do this. Like, they are no, they have the, there are no Asians in the orchestra. So they're like, you know, this guy's Asian. Don't take him. Ah, uh, Okay. So, so there was like this, it, basically it was a waste of time for you. I mean, that's just like not fair, right? I mean, just because you're of a certain race and then you, you spend so many, even weeks and months practicing and then just because you're Asian, you don't get it. Mm. But I mean, my teacher, I mean, he has all this like insider information and he, he, he did confirm to me that, you know, uh, just go there and treat it like an experience. Mm. Like you learn the, the excerpts, you, I mean, it's just like, you do so many so many auditions that you kind of like get the audition mood. Yeah, 
that like you go through yeah. it, understand the motions of it, lah. Right? Yes. Of uh, yeah, the the whole audition process and the preparation and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and there was another competition I did in Germany as well. Like I, I was in the second round and I didn't make it to the final round this one because um I didn't make the cutoff point. Ah, okay. But there were only two finalists. Right, and then you were the next highest. Yeah, but I mean, shouldn't there be like three people because like first, second, third prize? Yeah, so, some of these rules are, are set in a way. If you don't meet that point, then they don't pass you into the next round, right? But how do you know your point? I mean, your point could be doubted as well, right? So what I found out was that for this uh, for this particular selection of jury, they were not racist, but they... I mean, most of the contestants were their students. Ah, so I wasn't, I wasn't their student, so too bad. Mm. Yeah, there's always this kind of dark side to competitions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is not as transparent. I think at a at a younger age, I used to think that it is extremely transparent. <laughs> but yeah, as like like you said, as the the more we study, especially when you enter a department like in Lyon or for euphoniums somewhere like the RNCM, where you are speaking with your teachers who are sometimes on the jury mm-hmm. or knows what's going on behind the scenes, and then you hear things and you're like, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is a uh, yeah, all a little bit dark. It's like connections matter more than skills, right? To a certain extent. I think you you have to have a certain level of ability. That's for sure, but uh, connections also matters. Yeah, but I would say maybe the percentage would be like maybe even 70% for connections and 30% skills. I'm yeah, not sure. Perhaps. Yeah. So, I mean, it was quite eye-opening for me. First time I see like because of something else other than my skills, I didn't make it. Yeah. And this was towards the later years of your studies? Yeah, it was my almost final year, I think, in, in France. Yeah. So were you like regularly auditioning and doing competitions towards the end of your studies? Yeah, I was doing one one every three months, I think. And your preparation process for an orchestra audition versus a solo competition, is it the same? I would say it's kind of the same. Are there people in your department that spends a lot, a lot of time on excerpts? Uh, yes, if they are doing auditions. But okay, I think auditions are kind of different because like excerpts are so much shorter than, than, than solo pieces, right? So the actually the amount of notes you learn is so much less than um, solo pieces. But the amount of like accuracy and uh, stylistic awareness in orchestra auditions is so much higher. And also they, they just randomly pick like except they don't even pick everything. And it could be something that is very high to something that is very low to something that's fast, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, in my auditions I did like it was mostly like for uh second flute mm-hmm. and piccolo. So we had to audition for both instruments and they would just like juggle between the two like nonstop. Yeah, deliberately <laughs> make it a little bit difficult to see how you cope with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just crazy, like it was kind of like really eye opening. But okay, that's the difficult part for orchestra auditions, but um competitions. I think I felt more comfortable because like you just play an entire piece, you have the freedom to express mm. the way you want. Um, but honestly, I'm not quite sure how to answer your question because I'm not really an expert. If I was, I wouldn't be having this job in China. Of course, yeah. <laughs> who, who else? Who else can speak about this? No, I mean like I would have been so much more success- successful if I knew how to answer this question, right? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, isn't like orchestra audition kind of like a right place, right time kind of thing? Yeah, but I mean, as we talk about, I think connections really matter a lot more. Yeah. 
would you say that when you are preparing excerpts mm. as compared to solo pieces that you generally reduce the amount of risk that you take when you are doing your auditions? Uh, definitely. You mean risk like musical uh, phrasing? Or, uh, yes, all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't... You, I mean, you, you can't uh, phrase as, as much as you want in solo pieces in uh, except auditions, yeah. Mm. So it's really kind of down to like execution, right? Accuracy. It's not just about accuracy as well. It's like, it has to be so perfect. Like, they have to look... You know, you, you must know what sound they want. Again, I'm saying this not as an experienced person. <laughs> but, I mean, every orchestra is looking for a certain sound. And yeah. uh, if your sound is not what they're looking for, and then you're just you're just automatically out. And there are usually three rounds in an audition for orchestra. First round is behind curtains, and you play excerpts. Okay. Second round, they cut like 80% of the first round people. So there's only like maybe six people left in the second round. Mm. And then you you play like another bunch of excerpts, and they still can't see you. And then in the final round, they only take like maybe two or three. Okay. And you play like concertos and stuff like that. Yeah. I see. Some orchestras even have like um, trial, like you sit inside the orchestra and you play. But mm. I haven't got, got to that stage, unfortunately. <laughs> but I mean, this is kind of related to practicing, right? So I mentioned earlier, like in the introduction that, you know, when, I mean, I re- recently had this epiphany and mm-hmm. this is something that people don't usually talk about. Like I realized something lately, like when I was growing up, I would practice with the goal of improving. But recently, I, I think people kind of practice like to maintain their skill level, which I mm. call like practicing to stagnate. Yeah. But I think <clears throat> there is a fundamental flaw in this thinking and doesn't really help in your practice sessions because as much as possible, we should always try to practice to improve. Like this gives an added spark to your playing, in your practice sessions, right? Definitely. So it's a little bit like if you're playing to stagnate or like you said playing to just maintain your playing you are sort of like practicing very kind of defensively yeah it's almost like you feel bad that you're not practicing because if if you have that kind of mindset i think yeah that, exactly yeah you, you you're given a chance if i were to tell you that if you don't practice you're not going to get worse then mm. you wouldn't practice mm. right whereas if you are practicing with the mindset to want to improve and become better then your practice is sort of like on the offensive. You're working towards something. You have a, a direction. And I mean, this sort of working towards improvement, it could be the simplest things. Mm-hmm. From like learning a new piece or a new attitude all the way to like do your single tonguing a little bit faster than what you can do now. Yeah. All that kind of little things. You can sort of push yourself and lift yourself and set yourself these little targets, which mm-hmm. is all the more important in times like that. Yeah. Whereby there's not a lot of musical things going on to keep you motivated and on the edge. The motivation has to come like from you and be more like intrinsic rather than waiting for, for things to happen and then you start practicing. Mm, exactly. That's why I think yeah. anyway. I mean, because I've I've had this conversation with so many musicians and they all tell me like they're just practicing to maintain their skill level. So I kind of fall into that thinking as well. Like, yeah, I mean I'm deproving. Deproving is not a word by the way. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm deep yeah. so I want to try to get back to the level that I originally was so that it is uh, practicing to stagnate the, the thing is for me at this point in time 
I don't think I've achieved enough in my career to be able to make that statement to tell other people that, oh, you know, I'm just practicing to mm. maintain. You know, I, I don't think I'm at that stage. But I'm, I'm sure you reach a peak once, right? I mean, your peak uh, playing performance level. Yeah. And I think that to a certain extent, after leaving school, it has given me a little bit more time to think about my playing. And certain things are actually starting to work a little bit better than before. So, um, yeah, my, my time in school wasn't like so kind of rosy mm. and perfect. There, there were a lot of moments that were very challenging mm -hmm. for me, especially my relationship with my teacher. And also, I think there was a lot of misunderstanding and not very clear communication. And then there was a lot of mental stress when it comes to lessons. Yeah, there, there were even times during my studies where I kind of told myself, I'm, I'm not going to do music after this. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm going to finish my, my degree mm -hmm. because I don't want people to say that, oh, you're one of those people that went overseas and never finished your degree and now you're <laughs> back in Singapore, you know? So yeah. I, I was going to planning to, I was planning to finish my degree and then I was going to come back to Singapore and be like, yeah, I'll do, maybe I'll, I'll do another course, maybe I'll do something else. Mm. Yeah, but th this was uh, like in my second year of studies. So actually, this was the time after I went for the holiday in France. Mm -hmm. And then I returned back to the UK, which was like a like couple of weeks before I started school. So after I started school, that was when like things got a little bit dark for me. So you think your peak period was actually after graduating? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Now that I have more time to think about things and less stress. Yeah. Whenever the peak period is, I think it is important to at least maintain that and improve. That is mm. the whole point of like practice, practicing to improve. Yeah. Because people just, you know, like, oh, I was playing so well before, but now I'm not. So I just want to go back to that time. But why do you want to go back to that time? You should strive to go even better than that time. Right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think sometimes we sensitize ourselves to a certain level of playing, maybe. Mm. Yeah. That we, we forget that we were playing better. Oh, I, I definitely don't forget that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because but, yeah. you 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 spiral gradually mm -hmm. and when people start to hear this difference in in your playing mm. then people tell you hey, i you know i i feel like feels like something is a little bit off with your playing then you'll be like no there's nothing wrong i've always been playing like that <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah so i think we've got to be careful for sure yeah, yeah. Especially, I think there's no sort of like a, a comfort of a job. Mm. Maybe this term that I'm playing to just maintain my playing mm -hmm. is something that is more common when it comes to someone that already has a job now. Mm. So because they reach a certain level in order for them to win a job mm. and then they, they now decide that this level is okay, I will just maintain at this level that made me pass the audition. And I would do the same thing for the next couple of years, maybe 10, maybe 20, maybe yeah. until they retire. Exactly. I think, yeah, you're right. Like people who have accomplished certain things will know, will notice that they are deproving. So they want to go back to where they kind of like left off. But I think this is very dangerous, right? Like so many people who get jobs, they stop practicing. Mm. Yeah. But I mean, I think they're just like taking things for granted. Like they should, they shouldn't do this. Yeah. Because essentially, you know, with our instruments, it is really a craft. 
I mean, I wish we don't practice and we can still play, <laughs> you know, but it's it, it just doesn't work like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's that continuous, you, you're continuously building that relationship with the instrument. But that, I mean, that's why it's so difficult to, you know, to play music, to study music. Mm. Because mm. you have to continually put in this effort and it doesn't get less. It doesn't get any easier, for sure. Yeah, it doesn't get <laughs> Like the effort you put in actually gets, has to get more day by day. If not, you 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 definitely reach a peak one day and just like start to improve, you know. Mm. But I mean, so where my epiphany came from was actually uh, in a different view. Like when I prepare for auditions and competitions, I think people practice to to maintain that level because they don't want to change any more things in their playing. So this is where the danger of auditions and competitions come from as well. I mean, like there's a French proverb that says, on a change pas in équipe qui can, which means one does not change a winning team. Mm. In other words, if it isn't broken, don't fix it. So like people practice and they, I mean, improving does require some form of change, right? Yeah, definitely. And if you prepare too thoroughly to your perception of perfection, you will not want to alter that anymore. You, you notice I say per- your perception of perfection, right? Yes. Which means like what you think is perfect, but what you think is perfect might not be perfect. Yeah. So this is where like competitions and auditions, you know, for musicians, compared to like competitions for sportsmen, are so different. You see like in sports, you have very objective goals to, to like break your personal best. But in music, how do, you, how do you measure such things? Like, yeah, I'm sure you can tongue faster tomorrow compared to today, or you can play faster. You can hold a phrase for two minutes in one breath. But do these things contribute artistically? If the answer is yes, then perhaps working towards improving measurable things can be helpful. But Mm. certain things cannot be measured, like how musical somebody is. Yeah. Even though we know when we hear an unmusical interpretation, we cannot find ways to actively measure improvement in that sense, which is why like competitions and stuff like that in music is so kind of like almost dumb. If there was a competition to say, okay, how fast can you tongue? Then maybe that would make some sense. Mm. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Who who can single tongue at the fastest will get the prize. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. Because it's yeah. totally measurable. But, you know, like music competitions, I have no idea. Yeah. I, I agree for sure. There's so much uh, subjectivity. I mean, we don't even talk about musicality. We just talk about particular sound concepts. Mm. If it doesn't align with your panel of jury, mm it's very difficult to imagine that you go very far in a competition. Yeah, exactly. Because it's going to be pressing on their nerves. Mm. When they hear something like that, they're like, mm, go playing, but not my cup of tea. Should yeah. I pass this person to the next round? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, right? Yeah. So at least for me, that's how I see it. Yeah, it's just so subjective. Yeah. But you are in a much better position to make comments like that because you've actually won a few competitions, but I haven't. So, yeah, that 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 lies the difference, right? When I, I see I mean, this it, kind of thing's like everyone knows, right? Everyone can yeah. observe and critique. Yeah, but then, you know, people can say that, oh, Vincent is just sour because he's just not good <laughs> enough to win. Nah. You know? Yeah. And especially nowadays, I think a lot of the competitions, at least for, for brass, is still happening, you know, this summer. Mm. but they're shifting everything online. Oh my God. Yeah, so which makes me question the integrity of the recording. Mm -hmm. Because playing live versus 
sending in a recording is a war of difference to me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, playing live to six, seven jury members versus or three jury members versus playing into a camera mm. is for me something that's completely different. So, uh, like there are competitions that are asking you to record, and then uh, you will then turn up for a final round later part in the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you'll compete. Okay. So I don't know how many finalists they'll select. Mm. I mean, online is definitely a different ball game. There's so many things that can go wrong. I think usually the first round, if it's online, to just kind of sift through the application, I think that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. I think you need at least two live rounds. Hmm. So maybe instead of like having 70 people turn up for the competition, you can have like 20 people or 10 even, and then you do a live round, and then you do the finals. I think that works better because you have to judge them based on the live performance rather than a recorded performance. But yeah, yeah, I'm also not the organizer, right? So I mean, like in this pandemic, like why is people even organizing competitions? Of course, there are also other competitions that say that oh, we are not doing anything this year. And that's also yeah. fine. Yeah, but I guess it depends on the organizers. I mean, if they do it online, if they do it online and the public has access to all the videos and all the playing, then I think there's more transparency. Mm. But if if they don't release the videos or if it's not live, then I think there's no point. All the interesting things about music competitions. Great. And I think we had a very good session, Jasper. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Yeah, I really appreciate uh, you taking your time out to do this. And I hope you enjoy yourself. Yeah. yeah, it was my uh, pleasure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, coming on uh, to your first podcast. So yeah. like we mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, Jasper has his own YouTube channel where he showcases a lot of his playing from a couple of years ago to something that is a little bit more recent. So I'll share the link in the show description and be sure to go onto his channel, subscribe and look out for more content that he'll be posting on uh, the channel itself. So on that note, thank you so much again, Jasper. And mm, we'll sign you. off on this episode of You Play A What. You have been listening to You Play A What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play or What? Until next time.